everybody to didn't i blow your mind this time i'm duncan did you forget the name of our podcast no i didn't i wanted to kind of ramp into it a little more like sit into it maybe have a little pre-discussion oh. but then i realized i didn't talk to you about that so i'm okay I kinda, with that i kind of did a, a, a <laughs> halfway thing it sounds like we're doing it right now a little pre-discussion right, we're, we're doing it we're doing it <laughs> All right, um, now we had it. Now we're done. Anyway, welcome to <laughs> Didn't I Blow Your Mind this time. I'm Duncan. I'm Lex. And this is the podcast where Lex and I take turns trying to blow each other's minds with our film picks. The picks might be obscure. They might be Hollywood blockbusters. The only rules is uh, the other person uh, uh, cannot have seen the movie that we are suggesting uh, that they watch and that we then discuss on the show. I feel like that was a little clunkier than usual, but that's okay. We're there. We're through it. What does it matter now? Because we're about to talk about... White of the Eye from 1987, a canon film directed by Donald Camel, starring David Keith and Kathy Moriarty. Duncan, you haven't given an inch as far as even remotely something that you like. I think, I think, before you even say anything, I think that this is built for the both of us. Like I said, a canon picture, but it's directed <laughs> by Donald Camel, who co-directed performance with Nicholas Rogue about a British gangster uh, played by James Fox and uh, a rock star played by one Mick Jagger. And uh, also do your, do your Mick Jagger, do your Mick Jagger. I know you're dying to. I No, I'm not. I'm going to be evaluated quickly and fully. I don't have that that's not in the uh, the rotation. Well, uh, I've got to tell you, Lex, I settled into this movie knowing nothing, and um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep oh my, my I'm gonna keep my poker face on. I'm gonna keep oh my, my poker God. face on. I'll All just right. give you a few impressions. Yeah, excited for the Canon logo. Uh, the cinematography from this movie starts off uh, really, really uh, interesting. This is our second film in a row that opens with some hawk imagery it you are correct there of course i'm correct you think i'm coming in with false facts to this podcast i just didn't know if you noticed the cape fear uh, uh hawk uh oh i i noticed the, also the second movie it. on this podcast where we've uh, we've dabbled in uh, a tucson setting i believe that's correct and the third uh that we've been once again we're in the desert my friend so there's some great uh, desert city contrast. I'm being drawn in by the movie. I would say that both uh, David Keith and Kathy Moriarty are actors I know, but I don't know. I I, I, agree I, with I know that. them a, a little, but not well enough. And I've always been intrigued by them. Uh, there's a synthy. The movie opens with this synthy, tangerine, dreamy score yes. as uh, as the as the the setting Tucson comes on the screen in cool electric blue. It's probably been the coolest uh, announcement of Tucson ever in a movie. I was I, you feel like you're like, I feel like I should be in Miami, but I'm not. I'm in Tucson. Do you know who did the uh, the score? I do, but I feel like you know a little bit more about them, so I'm going to let you put on your uh, your music nerd hat and, and give me some uh, some fun facts. The big name that I noticed was Nick Mason, who uh, is, of course, from Pink Floyd. Probably worth mentioning that this is based on a book called Mrs. White. Uh, it is written by Margaret Tracy, which is actually a pseudonym for the brothers Andrew and Lawrence uh, Clavin. Uh, and Mrs. White uh, is set in Connecticut. 
in the suburbs. Very interesting. Very, Very different. Interesting. I, I clocked than that as well. It's a, nice, well. it's a quick read. Uh, yeah, definitely not a beach read. We'll get into the the book and how this was uh, adapted by the director and his uh, amour slash. Uh, I guess her. It was also his kind of uh, partner in crime, and she oh, yeah. also uh, has a has a role in the movie uh, China. Uh, but my my impressions for the movie, yeah, I I got very excited. I started thinking uh, there's a there's a cold open listeners that is a really violent murder. It's exactly how I like a movie to open. A very artsy murder. You get very this, artsy. this overlit kitchen, this kind of uh, desert architectural digest porn type shots, tropical fish, lots of heavy metaphors, the artificial fruit magnets, the the fish in the aquarium that's in the house that looks like an aquarium, the moat walkway, the indoor plants. And I'm settling in for kind of a Southwest desert uh, jello, jello, I feel yes, like. That's, indeed, I'm very sir. excited. And I'm thinking to myself, where did Lex pull this movie from? How do I not know this movie? What was I doing in 87? That uh, this this passed right by me. I guess I was, you know, seeing Witches of Eastwick and uh, Angel Heart, Dirty oh. Dancing, and No Way Out with my parents. Um, you saw No Way Out bedroom. with your parents? I did. Oh, I boy. did. Ooh, that ooh. limousine scene. Wow. Yeah, wow. Full Metal Jacket with my brother's girlfriend. This movie was not on my radar. I thought you were also going to mention once that that Jallo slashing and blood splashing happens, the I, I feel like the most gruesome moment in that killing scene is the fish that you mentioned flops into a bowl of raw rack of lamb, which is uh, sitting on on the kitchen counter. Which uh, I, there's a lot of food imagery in this. There's there's uh, there are some threads that happen uh, throughout, and right off the bat. Uh, you're really esta- established with a, a dreamy tone, which seems to be true of uh, Donald Campbell. I, I, I have seen performance. It was a long time ago. Um, and I don't remember really enjoying it. I, I, I feel like it was, uh, uh, it took its time. And I don't feel like that's the case with this movie it's cut together expertly and um the editor is actually terry rawlings who cut uh alien and blade runner uh which feels apt the um the ridley scott dreamy uh uh shots feel a lot like donald camel's uh, dreamy shots that that happen here so uh I, I was sort of amazed that that it moves as as well as it does. It it uh, story wise, it's not tight, but pacing wise, it it feels pretty tight to me. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, after that cold open uh, slasher kill that felt uh, very MTV, but in the best possible way. There's a yeah, head yeah. that goes through a microwave. There's a there seems to be a lot of social commentary that. I'm not quite understanding, but I feel like it's going to get unpacked throughout the movie. So after that cold open, we, or, we cut to a... Or go, gets packed on, packed down as, get, as more whoop. ideas are introduced. That's, that, is, uh, that is more the way this movie's going, yes. But I, I just want to give you credit because I was settling in. I was very excited, excited and after that cold open, 
uh, uh, slasher murder. We cut to some some opera, some Mahler, and some overhead sh shots of some mines. And I'm feeling in the hands of a of a real uh, auteur here. Yeah. Then things go off the rails a little bit. But let me just give you credit where credit is due for uh, for picking a movie with a great opening. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, that's the way it's going to go. Uh, I, I think we're going to part ways here because I was even uh, found Kathy Moriarty right at the start compelling the daughter that she's talking to. As we meet Kathy Moriarty, who is Mrs. White, uh, who is uh, the, the wife of Paul White, who's played by David Keith, who is a hi-fi electronics installer in 1987. She's talking to their daughter, who is just about the strangest daughter I've seen on screen ever. Um, kind of a mullet. They're talking about um, antisocial behavior as they um, could do some some cookie cutouts. Honey, you can't keep going around socking people in the back. It's just it's not right. It's stupid. It's antisocial. What's antisocial? Well, do you know what social is? No. Okay. Social's like what we're doing right now, making cookies and talking and laughing, right? Now, antisocial would be if mommy grabbed a cookie cutter and chopped up all your cookies and threw them on the ground. That's antisocial. Okay, you understand? And you're not gonna do it again? Okay. Okay, come here and give me a big hug and kiss. As is the case with every scene for me, it's strange enough that I'm engaged and really have no idea where we're <laughs> where we're going with this movie. Um, but I'm I'm locked in. Well, I was I was also intrigued by Kathy Moriarty. Of course, everybody knows her from her film debut in uh, *Raging Bull*, and then she's in uh, *Neighbors*, opposite. Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi and more than holds her own. I love her in that. I think she's only in one other film and then it's uh, and then it's this film. Uh, I read that she felt like she was kind of uh, boxed out of Hollywood a little bit, felt like people were jealous of her instant success. Uh, yeah, she wasn't she getting was the role she wanted. She nominated she for an Oscar for Raging Bull, I guess. Right out of the gates. Right out of the gates. She was 18 when she was discovered by Pesci for the uh, for the role. Really? Where yep. did where did uh, Pesci? I didn't know Pesci did uh, his discovery. Where does he do I his think discovery? she was a um, she was a model. She was in some kind of beauty contest. I, I think it it was. But uh, yeah, part of also part of the delay until she showed up really uh, again powerfully in Soap Dish in the nineties uh, was she had a near fatal accident and had a lot of recovery to do uh, then as well. And that's after this movie and before Soap Dish. Oh. Also, she was cast. I've found some facts that I'm sure you know, and I did not. Um, uh, she was cast to co-star with Jack Nicholson in The Two Jakes in 1985. Um, did you know the saga of The Two Jakes? I know a little bit of the the Two Jakes saga that Robert Town was yeah. going to direct, and then he kind of took off and left Nicholson holding the bag. Well, mainly it had to do with Evans, who insisted on an acting role. Uh, and town going to play the other Jake. Right. Uh, and when they had a blow up based on Evans had a facelift and didn't like that his, uh, scars were showing in a shot, basically a couple, like a month 
they had done a month of pre-production, spent a decent amount of money, and had sh- done a day of shooting, and everything fell apart in 1985. And Town um, tried to set it up with Dino De, De Laurentiis without Evans. And at that point, there was talk of the two Jakes being played by Harrison Ford and Roy Scheider. Wow. Whoa, what? But it didn't go that way because <laughs> Two Jakes came out in, I think, 1990. Um, you mean the Two Jakes without Nicholson? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I did not well, I know mean, that part. When of the Dino's story. involved, Dunk, when when Dino's involved, he's, yeah, we'll make it work, huh? See, you didn't get a Jagger impersonation, but you did get a Dino De Laurentiis uh, impersonation. And I have no idea what he sounds like, so you're really able to get away with, uh, with a lot there. I watched The Two Jakes uh, in the past year. I can't say I loved it. I don't, I've seen it once and I remember not feeling strongly about it. It reminded me how much I respect Nicholson for just rolling into the 80s and getting puffy as hell. And (laughs) I mean, not giving a fuck. What I do for a living may not be very reputable, but I am. In this town, I'm the leper with the most fingers. Uh, It's detailed uh, a little bit in one of my favorite books from last year, The Big Goodbye, Chinatown and the Last Years of Hollywood, the the, uh, Sam Wasson book. Although I do have to say, I just listened to Sam Wasson on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, and he and Brett were not fans of Tar. And at one point, uh, uh, they started talking about uh, Kate Blanchett not being great. And I I literally gasped (laughs) in my car. I was. I don't think I've ever heard anyone not be enamored with Kate Blanchett. Yeah, but, but that wh- is a, a digression on a digression on a digression. Oh yeah, I guess so. Because I was about to follow up with what's Brett Easton Ellis doing, uh, commenting on one who invited them. I I, I saw how, how that is true. Listeners, is this worth talking? about? it is a digression. Let's just I, stop I, here. No, I think we can mention to the listeners who uh, <laughs> whose whose favorite episode of the show probably was episode number three, where we discussed who invited them. My uh, feature film uh, directorial debut that mm-hmm. a caller called into one of my favorite podcasts, the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, the podcast I hate to love or do I love to hate it? I'm not sure. And the listener was uh, enamored with the film and wanted to know if Brett had seen it and also thought one of the characters uh, had uh, Elysian tones uh, to him. Oh. And uh, so I caught my, I was listening to it. I caught my breath. I was like, oh my God, has Brett seen the movie? Because I did try and get him a link. Um, sounds like he liked the movie, but also sounds like he's not sure if he watched the movie. He went on to, to describe the plot, but only the plot insofar as it goes in the trailer. And then he was like, yeah, it was oh. good. But I'm not sure if he's really seen it or not, um, oh. or if he just saw the trailer. So I guess I'll leave well enough alone that he gave the I movie thought, a shout I out thought, on his podcast. I thought the mention took your breath away because you were out of breath from calling into the Brett Easton Ellis podcast to uh, mention Ex- who invited the... Excuse me? excuse me that is going to be erased from this podcast delete. that was i would not do that delete i do not first of all you need a silver account and i don't have one uh so i would not do that i'm just a regular uh regular uh, listener okay. i kid um well so this kathy seems... moriarty fresh from uh losing her yonkers accent rolls back into the yeah. big screen uh, uh for her role in this movie and then David Keith, have I talked about how my dream is to make a buddy movie with David <laughs> Keith and Keith David? Yeah. I mean, who, you who actually is sleeping have on mentioned. That? That oh, I have. have. Has that you... come up before? Yeah. I think maybe this podcast might light a fire I under, think, uh, I under, think under, so. under their buns. I have to say, I think that um, uh, 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 Keith David's career is a little hotter than David Keith's. 
So it might be that might be problem. Oh, uh, now hold on, a little bit of a problem with the agents. Well, that 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 wasn't a problem in 1983 when David Keith was Show West's male star of tomorrow. David Keith, oh, is that right? That's right. His friends and call was, him the Deke. Oh, I like that fun fact. Um, I could not figure out where I knew David Keith from. He's done so many roles, but there was nothing in his filmography that made me say, oh, that's the one where he really landed on my radar. Because guess what? I've never seen an officer and a gentleman. That's very interesting. I would have thought you were a big Officer and a Gentleman fan. I've seen it as a as a kid. I don't remember it that well. He was good in that. But the movie for me, the, the, the Raging Bull uh, for David <laughs> Keith for me is The Great Santini. Oh, okay. Uh, the Robert Duvall movie from the from the Pat Conroy novel. Never seen and it. If you have either. not seen the Great Santini, my friend, I highly recommend it. Okay. Imagine Robert Duvall's uh, character in Apocalypse Now. Okay. If the movie followed him home and he lived down south in the big chill house, and the movie was just about him uh, busting his family's balls for two hours. <laughs> That's what the Great Santini is. Blythe <laughs> Danner. Is is charming as hell as his wife, and okay. uh, one of my one of my faves, Michael O'Keefe, is the son. You've oh, probably yeah. seen clips of of this great scene where where uh, uh, Robert Duvall beats. I'm sorry, Michael O'Keefe beats his dad at basketball for the first time, Mm-mm. and Robert Duvall can't handle it. Can't he insists they go for another game, and Michael O'Keefe says no. And then Michael O'Keefe starts going to his room and Robert Duvall's great Santini character bounces a basketball off the back of his head, calling him a little girl and a loser oh my it's, God. as as Michael O'Keefe is like crying. Oh it my is God. so intense. Anyway, David Keith plays a bully, a, a Southern bad boy bully with a twinkle in, in his eye and, a, and a, 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 a real snarl and a drawl in that. And he's very good. And I've always pictured him as kind of, a, I don't know, a, a more twinkle eyed Patrick Swayze. Not that uh-huh. Patrick Swayze doesn't have a great eye twinkle, but well, uh, here's there's, what I'll there's say. something in the eyes. There's a mischief in the eyes, and something in the throat, as we come to find out in uh, in this film, as he unleashes in one of their first scenes together as a couple, um, he shows off this supernatural skill that's almost like he turns his body <laughs> he turns his body into a didgeridoo and kind of. Horn-loaded tweeters there, 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 and there. And all the bass out this end. <laughs> of course, you have to have heavy-duty cables. That's what separates the men from the boys. Right. Well, people think I'm kidding when I do that. You know, they, they can't believe it, but I really feel it right there. It's like I got a tuning fork. I hear my sinus cavities. And that's why he specializes in... in hi-fi systems for rich people in <laughs> tucson arizona which i loved which i was a was a character I, detail i absolutely loved. i loved it this is this movie you can't knock it for not having full texture and and detail um that those touches are amazing like you said the house uh, at the beginning is amazing M- moriarty and keith's 
house, their sort of hippie, um, cluttered house that they live in is so, is so, looks so real and so lived in. I mean, I have to assume it is, uh, there was very little set dressing, but it's, it's just captured so well. I really feel like I'm, I'm steeped in 1987 Arizona, both the, the rich and the poor and, um, the in-between uh, as we navigate this this small town outside of Tucson as well. And I have to say, I, I personally think that these two made, made a great and convincing couple. They're strange, but I was intrigued by them and ready to go for go forward with these two i agree i i was uh i was charmed by them they are an intriguing couple um that's interesting the, the set design of this movie is so interesting like that cold open you've got this big beautiful house i think there's like i read there were like 52 cuts in that cold open oh, uh, wow. it's, it's it's so well constructed then the movie kind of slows down mm-hmm. and it almost it, it feels like this odd cross between like a out in the desert indie feature in the mm-hmm. vein of like a you know Tao of Steve or something yeah, you know yeah, where like yeah. it's it's locals only actors some right. moments in real locations and then there are these other much bigger Argento. budget set pieces yeah. that it, it it really kind of straddles these two worlds it's really interesting yeah yeah so we return to that scene that that stylized setting when we meet uh, <laughs> the cop. Uh, played by Art Evans, who um, I know him from Die Hard 2. He's he's one of the cops that I, I forget exactly who he is, but he's definitely law enforcement in Die Hard 2 at the Dulles Air- Airport. Um, you've seen him before, and there's something, his choice, whether it's Donald Camel or the actor Art Evans, uh, he's fashion forward this cop i've never seen oh, this is the coziest anything. cop i've ever seen especially since you're like aren't you in the the desert he's wearing That's... a super cozy cozy soft uh i wouldn't it's somewhere between a turtleneck and a mock it's in yep. between but then kind of a and big a almost knit. angora uh sport coat sport over coat it on top of it it's fluff on fluff he's like and... the steve bannon of, of fluffy comfiness <laughs> And he looks so cozy. And I love that he listens to Mahler and loves Picasso. You know, he's like the sophisticated cop character. Yep. Let's not forget the red beret that he wears also in the desert. (laughs) He's like, hold on, let me put on my beret. There's a lot of strong choices. And I really like Art Evans as a cop because he's so soft-spoken, you're instantly intrigued yeah. by him. You're, you're like, oh, hold on. There's, there's more going on with this cop uh, yeah. than, than initially meets the eye because uh, he's, he's not some, some gruff, scenery-chewing guy. He really, he really uh, is laid back and, and seems very uh, 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 contemplative for, yeah, yeah. for a cop. And yeah. uh, that instantly makes him kind of a, a great cop character, even if he, there's not a lot uh, uh, that's convincing. Into the character. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and then we roll into our first flashback uh, to introduce the character of Mike, uh, played by Alan Rosenberg, who former I... SAG president. Oh, that's right. That's right. I know him from L.A. Law, and then he shows up in Goliath. Um, he's great in both every time i see him i I think he's great and want to see more of him and in this case he's uh he's a strange uh new york dude uh quasi hippie 
definitely criminal element. Um, and it, we come to find out that um, he and Kathy Moriarty are an item in the past. Uh, and they, they land in this, they're having a fight in their van, in their sort of hippie van as they're headed out to California. And um, she puts a cigarette out in his uh, eight track player um and so they have to stop clearly that's worth stopping the trip over and... stuff like that always happened in the 80s <laughs> you, you always you go right for a man not the hi-fi <laughs> so i they... should say though at this point in the movie uh this is when you're starting to wonder you're like okay this uh, uh david keith and kathy moriarty are an interesting couple but what's their story what's their story and this is the the flashback that ex- this is the uh you know this is their uh meet cute and then in these very bleached out uh, flashback right, scenes. Right. And she's clearly and, and it makes sense now that Kathy Moriarty is cast in this role because this couple has come from New York and they bring a real New York attitude. So it makes sense that Kathy Moriarty would be that choice um, before she becomes, you know, eight years later, uh, this hippie wife who lives in, in Tucson, but also. Uh, in this flashback, we meet uh, David Keith uh, in the past, and what a fucking entrance. He has a mullet like you would not believe. He's got the turquoise and silver jewelry. He's I, If he doesn't have tasseled, leathered sleeves, he should. I mean, wow, this guy rolls in like exactly like you said. He is, he is um, Swayze uh, before Swayze. Yeah, this is this is if you're Alan Rosenberg, you grab Kathy Moriarty, you <laughs> throw her in the van, her. and you speed to California. You do not dilly dally when this guy walks through the door. This, this Southwest shit. hunk. Uh, oh my gosh! So that's the intro to this love triangle, which clearly is a uh, a recurring theme for the director Donald Camel. Um, it was a part of performance the um james fox and mick jagger have a relationship also with anita pallenberg in that movie uh demon seed uh from the late 70s starring julie christie is another movie made by donald camel about um a supercomputer that impregnates julie christie a supercomputer created by julie christie's husband it sounds like it's off the walls crazy touch your body as a man touch you but i'm going to show you things which human eyes have never seen in the privacy of a woman's room against her will the inconceivable act julie christie carries the demon seed and also then, a movie very much taken away from him. Oh, is that right? He, he was he was not happy with how that turned out. Oh, so okay. This, this movie uh, was really it's all his, his, his supposed to be his return to form. Yeah, yeah. And then right. Wild Side is also a, a, a love triangle with Christopher Walken, and Anne Heche, and, and Joan Chen. Um, his last movie, which uh, we'll we'll get to. Um, what happens to Donald Camel? I guess at the, uh, as we we close this out. But um, yeah intro of the love triangle and then we've got some more more cop stuff in the present here in um in white of the eye as... there's a killer on the loose and there's... the big uh the big the big hint the big clue is their tire treads their very unique 
tire treads, and it's the same tire tread that our hero, uh, Keith David's Paul White, has on his tires. So that leads Art Evans to uh, to him. These Baja SE tires happen to be just introduced quality mail order imports from California. Now the company has all the customers on a floppy disk, so you could say we're in luck. Only a few sets in the state so far. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say those are like fingerprints. Fresh fingerprints. Well, how many sets do you have in this state? 42. And out of state? Paul, I'm going to let you in on a little privileged information. We've had three similar disfigurements at least in this state and in this state alone. Forget about out of state, okay? Be patient with me. I don't suppose you recall what you were doing August 10th, for instance, Tuesday evening? <laughs> well, of course, why should you? I'll check with my wife. And uh, Art Evans's partner, we got some really good cop talk back and forth between partners in that scene with him and Michael Green, who I know that face. God, I know that face, but I can't tell you what was the first thing that really locked it in for me. Just, I, I am the exact same. I looked at his IMDb. I was like, what do I know this guy from? I I, I picture him roughing somebody up yeah. in an almost sadistic way. Yeah. I he's cannot great. figure it out. Yeah. He he had and it looks like he's still working um in that clue gulager way. Even though we've lost clue, we we still have uh, green and it seems like he's still kind of making indie movies and throwing his weight around as a as a heavy duty old guy. Now um, I was looking for I read there was a Richard Lester cameo, but I didn't catch no, it. I didn't I didn't catch that either. Well, we should say this. This is a uh, Donald Campbell. Well, maybe this is clear from your description of performance. He's a uh, the director was a, a Scottish Renaissance man. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Scots. Oh. There's a lot of Brits involved in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and I guess we should also say that he was also a painter and artist, which is there are mentions here and there of of um, artists and of course uh, the art evans um cop compares the the killer's work to an artist and um and cites different paintings i think calls him a calls him a picasso killer maybe yes. even at some point i do a goddamn work of art when i see one did you ever look at a picasso lucas castle my ass I'm talking post-Cubist Picasso. Why should I look at a goddamn Picasso? I'm a medical man, not a goddamn hippie. Or maybe even later. You know, Lucas, you're becoming a real bore this evening. Can't even hold a civilized conversation with you. You know that? I was really excited. I thought when you were drawing, uh, when you were going to talk about the art in this movie and the imagery, you were just going to say, and then, of course, there's Art Evans, whose name is Art. <laughs> I was like, wow, Lex is really reaching right now. <laughs> really stretching it. Um... So then we get this sequence uh, that shows that there's uh, not only have we seen the backstory between this couple where we start to get a sense that he is cheating on her and maybe has had many relationships with the uh, ladies of the house uh, for whom he installs hi-fi equipment. Um, and we meet Alberta Watson um, and she puts on quite a show as she seduces him in uh, her house. Alberta Watson, do you know what she's from? She also recently passed. Do you know what she's I famously in? She's the mom in Spanking the Monkey. 
Oh my goodness. Yep. Oh my goodness. I yep. can't believe I didn't know that. I love spanking the monkey. For me, it's David O. Russell movie number two. Wow. In terms of his, yeah, it's like flirting. For me, he flirting with disaster and spanking the monkey, and the and the fighter. Those are my three. Okay. And I've seen spanking the monkey more than once. I remember watching it. It was on cable one night. I'd already seen it, and I was uh, lingering on it. I was home visiting my parents, and my mom walked in. And it was the scene where he's applying a, a lubricant to the to oh, her thigh or right around the cast. And I oh, was it's like, right I'm, as it begins, it was really this is a this is a movie with a with an Oedipal uh, in, incest plot. Uh, and it was so uncomfortable. And I, and my mom said, what's this? And I was like, Oh, nothing. I'm turning the channel. And she couldn't. said, no, I don't want you to turn the channel. You're watching. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm watching. And then she sat down and I, I was hoping the scene would move on. And then she, it's totally dawned on her what this movie was about. And she was like, maybe I'll just go in the other room. And I was oh, like, no, no, I'm not even watching my. this. No, I'm, I'm not even watching Spanking the Monkey. I don't oh, even know my. what this is. It was very uncomfortable. Very that, uncomfortable. That's the epitome of awkward watching a movie with your parents. I don't think there could be a more uncomfortable scene nope. to watch. You picked it. You found it. How how does that happen that moms <laughs> feel a, a gravity when when there's <laughs> there's an inappropriate something or other on in the other room? What's this? It was that's awful. fantastic. It was awful. So I can never enjoy that movie again. Um. Well. So at the same time as uh, David and Alberta are are getting it on out in in the uh, the desert, and um, I should say, mm. just listeners uh, who haven't seen the film, you know this woman is rich and bored because she's wearing a sexy fur coat, yeah, and she's drinking a martini, yeah, in the middle of the day. I guess I'm just a teensy bit disappointed. You know, I'm lying here in a warm, sudsy bath. It's me and my diamond ring finger, my pouty lips. Lying here all day thinking about you, Paul. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I love Joan. And I don't trust you, Anne. Why should you trust me? As I meant to tell you, you should park down that road. You know the one? Be discreet. Like me? So at the same time, Kathy Moriarty, for some reason, is just driving around in her old beat-up pickup truck. But um, she's wearing a fur coat. Everybody is not dressed for the uh, the Arizona sun. She's wearing a fur coat. And she stumbles across Mike in the present, Alan Rosenberg. And we meet him and discover that he has fallen far from his um, sort of hustler self. And now he's he changes tires at um, a gas station. And it looks like or maybe he says he's taken a long fall and, and maybe got some brain damage almost. Um, he's looking worse for wear, old Mike. And let me just, uh, my co-host has buried the lead here. I just want to say how Kathy Moriarty's character uh, finds her old lover at the gas station is because as she's walking around the gas station, uh, uh, because she needs to get her car fixed, she hears someone humming, uh, I believe the song is I Believe in Miracles Mm -hmm. by Hot Chocolate, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, 
parenthetical, you sexy thing. Mm-hmm. And we have heard his character. Uh, they were listening to that when she blew out his uh, his eight uh, track uh, cassette deck in the in the opening. So I just for me, I was like, I love that song. And I was like any movie that has a plot point that hinges on uh, a hot chocolate song is uh, partly a winner. In my I, book, absolutely. and the full Monty has now been overtaken as the the the, the ultimate uh, uh, hot chocolate uh, in, in my mind, the ultimate movie that uses that song. And they go on to, I mean, she literally she says, "Hey, I to David Keith to to Paul White, I, I you you'll never believe who I saw today, and guess what he was listening to? Get this, I'm out in this gas station, in the middle of nowhere, and I hear this tune. I believe in miracles." Um, since she came along, you sex thing, sexy thing. Yeah, that didn't mean anything to you. No. Okay, I turn around and guess who's filling my gas tank? Mike DeSantos, looking like something to catch her again. Next thing I know, he's offering me homemade peanut butter. Peanut butter? Yeah, peanut butter. Oh, there's well. a Hank Williams uh, Jr. song that blasts. A uh, country later. boy can survive, uh, Duncan. It really does. Um, but I will totally agree with you. I love hot chocolate. The more people need to listen to hot chocolate. Uh, I, I honestly no can't doubt say about listened, it. Okay, I, I only know that one song. To be honest, oh, uh, they're they're worth going down the rabbit hole. And in, in fact, shameless plug. Uh, uh, my other podcast, uh, The Well of Sound, oh, ought to ought oh, to um, cover hot chocolate at some point. They're they're really terrific. Anyway, I'll put okay. That Are you done bed. plugging your, I'll, your I'll other podcast? Uh-huh. I'll put that to bed now. There's another thing that uh, that appears here, and that's a, an extended conversation about uh, perms. <laughs> Joan, I am not trying to look like Ann Mason. I'm just trying to look nice. Did I say you carry on? Did I? I said Lisa. Oh, God, you are so tacky. So? I mean, really? Sure, sure, sure. What we'll do is we'll put in the nuclear pack. It's going to come I'm sick of this. Everybody's walking around with their hair like God knows what. Well, it's the fashion. Yeah. It's not the fashion. It's the Ann Mason lookalike contest. Maybe she copied me. Ann, I just can't make it today. What about my closet? Vern's just wild about the idea, by the way. <laughs> There's this whole sequence where and uh, where Ka- Kathy Moriarty is talking to a friend and they go on. The conversation happens over top of somebody else um, getting a perm from this hairdresser who is offhandedly mentioned at the beginning in the first kill. Uh, the victim is talking to a friend on the phone saying, I got the worst perm from, and I forget the name of the hairdresser, um, well, I, I remember ruined... the name of the salon because it's one of those regional little moments that I love. The salon was uh, the Bill Air Salon. Oh, that's so well done. Camel, come on. Camel, don't hurt him. I, I was just, I, I'm, to- I'm totally thrown off at this point as we have this long sequence about, um, about perms. But it seems to tie in. Uh, to the killings, because the next big kill that happens is another woman who got her hair permed at um, the Bel Air. Uh, and that is another sort of insane and uh, amazing kill sequence. The bathtub kill. The bathtub kill. Very scary. I mean, it's it's one for the, for the ages. First, there, there's this 
body horror of um, her contacts slipping off her eye. I, we should mention that that um, there's a lot of eyeball close-ups. There's um, a lot of eyeball imagery. You're not sure whose eyeballs you're looking at, but there's lots of eyes. Um, and then the kill is is wild. The the killer spins this woman upside down and and pile drives her into the floor. I've, I've never seen that before. And then rolls her up in a rug, binds her, and then drops her into a bathtub and then holds a mirror up to her as she's drowning so she can see herself uh, before she dies. That was so interesting and so disturbing. I was trying to think if I've seen that before. If a, a mirror when you are dying moment. So there uh, is. So there's an Argento movie called uh, uh, Four Flies on Grave Velvet, which it centers around this this concept that um, the eye ingrained in the eye is the last image that the eye sees. Um, so. Um, clues to a murder can be taken from the eye by uh, the investigation team um, that's in that movie and I, I just now did that click into my mind uh, as maybe being an influence because as we have already said the, these killings are so jollo they're POV slasher kills they're gloved um, although the gloves in this killing are different than the gloves at the beginning uh, which kind of threw me off and made me think, what, is is it two different killers? That sort of thing. But then maybe this is the right time to bring up uh, Donald Camel's death. He committed suicide. And according to the article that I read, he it was gun to head and he did not die instantly, but rather stayed alive for about 45 minutes. His wife was there and he was lucid and he requested that his wife give him a mirror so that he could watch himself as he died, which ties into this moment here. How strange is that? Oh, well, I'm oh. depressed. Uh, I read I'm, that also. I did not read the part about him holding the mirror, but I, I, I there is a documentary. Um, uh, it's a little 45 minute documentary on YouTube about Donald Campbell that I watched, and it said he had his wife, uh, China, yeah, uh, fill out some paperwork before he shot himself. It wasn't clear if she knew what she was signing. Oh, uh, I think it was some kind of legal, you know. Uh, uh, so she's not culpable that he's in the next oh, room shooting oh. himself. And and at least his friends and the people they interviewed in this YouTube uh, doc describe him as having a peaceful 45 minutes where he did not feel pain. Interesting. Um, um, I guess he suffered from maybe some disassociative personality. Mm-hmm issues um which certainly um there can be a lot of parallels drawn to uh david keith's paul white character in this and some mm-hmm. of the language he uses later when he kind of goes off the rails mm-hmm. um yeah yeah sad uh, sad story although um, i also read some some uh quotes from him that i i guess he had expressed uh in the past that he felt like the saddest thing about dying was that you don't know when it's going to happen and you have no control and why would anyone do that when they can choose the the time and place of their own death interesting so uh wild side uh, his last film came out the same year as his death and as you mentioned um there's he seemed to often have turmoil over uh films being 
cut and 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 pulled out of his control and wildside evidently was one of them and maybe was a part of this uh, uh unraveling uh he was putting a uh, a next film together and was looking for a star that would would green light the the budget and from what i read i don't know how accurate it is the the same night as his death the actor uh signed on and the, the film would have happened that was 1996 do you want to guess who the actor was who would have greenlit um the david camel or donald camel um next film well i know he he kind of did the casting dance with marlon brando a few times mm -hmm. uh this sounds like it was maybe later so i really don't I know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take a wild guess and say uh oh i don't know kevin costner same that look. was a joke guess that was a joke guess same look, I have no same idea. vibe but in 1996 was there anybody bigger than bill pullman the fourth of july will no longer be known as an american holiday but as the day when the world declared in one voice we will not go quietly into the night we will not vanish without a fight we're going to live on we're going to survive today we celebrate our Independence Day. Would you know what that movie? I mean, who was Phil Pullman going to play? I, I don't. guess the president. <laughs> was this during his presidential phase? Um, that's uh, it's about the right time. I don't know. I don't know any details about the movie. Well, because I brought up Marlon Brando and that he and and uh, Donald Camel were were talked about a few different movies they were going to do over the years, but it right. never quite worked out. I, I will say that uh, I read the cold open of this movie, this this amazing, uh, very artsy uh, slasher cold open. Uh, originally, the MPAA wanted to give this movie uh, an X rating, and supposedly Marlon Brando intervened, picked up the phone, and uh, helped it get an R. White of the eye. White of the eye. Oh my White gosh. Of the eye. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a cool tip. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Brando knows some people there from last tango. Um, on the X, the X board. He's like, I've been, I've been here before. No, that wasn't it. Thank <laughs> God I didn't do Thank God, God I didn't do my, no, my Jagger. Good. Yeah. Um, so it starts to pick up steam here as things truly, uh, go off the rail and actually, uh, like the book, uh, Mrs. White, Kathy Moriarty, starts to close in on the killer, and she believes it is her her husband. Um, and, and one reason she might believe this is there aren't a lot of options. Uh, as someone writing a slasher <laughs> movie that you red just hair. read, yeah, there's not a lot of options. I would say the biggest red herring in this movie, if 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 we're gonna if this we're gonna call this a a, a giallo is that the kills, especially the one you just described that ends in the bathtub, are so brutal that you can't imagine the Paul White character yes. being the killer that, because they, they seem so nasty and you've seen him playing the piano with his kid and yep. kind of hanging out. But there there really isn't anybody uh, else uh, floating around the movie that it could be. So uh, it is a real mystery. At this point in the movie, I'm kind of like, hold it. Did Le is, is, this a, is this a camp classic? Is that why Lex picked this one? The, the, the afterglow of that first kill is, is kind of dissipating a little bit. It comes back with the bathtub. That's right. You but, get the bathtub. There's, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of plot strands. There's a lot of stuff that's not congealing. It's interesting that the kills in this movie are so well done yeah. because I read that uh, initially when the book was given to 
uh, Camel's, uh, I don't know if it was his wife or girlfriend at the time who's in the movie, uh, Chena, she read it, she liked it, she encouraged him uh, to do it. And they wrote the script together, I believe. And his interest was not, I don't want to do a slasher movie. Hey, let's make up our own story. She uh-huh. said, uh-huh. but, but that said, it's really the, these, these slasher kills that, that kind of elevate the movie more than anything. Um, and I should say, I think there's a, I think, uh, Chena, his wife also had a, uh, there was a Marlon Brando connection there. They might've even met through oh. Marlon. She was in, in, at Hollywood high. She was 14 oh, Ooh, and he was Good in his forties when they met, oh, but let's God. say that we're not going to get moving on. I will say that what keeps me going at this point in the movie is the bad shit craziness, whether it's, it's small or large character turn or, or shot. I'm constantly surprised by something. Uh, one thing is the, uh, it, did uh, Marty rip off for Cape Fear the walk into camera? And instead of De Niro walking face first into the camera, we get a crotch into camera shot did you notice that one as he walks he's he wakes up from the bed the the cops want to talk to uh paul and he is wearing the most loosey-goosey long johns where you're like i can't not look at uh what's going on here and camel forces you to look as he just walks right towards camera right at crotch level and wham bam thank you ma'am crotch cam Um, Crotch cam. Uh, and then we have an interrogation scene where Kathy Moriarty is watching her husband being being interrogated. Uh, and then she goes on an incredible tear. And you realize this is what you're waiting for from Moriarty, that she can turn it up to 11 like this. Right. There's there's right. nothing better. I guess he didn't tell you where he got that flat tire. From the local slut house? I mean, in back of whatever certain married lady and that it was me who let the air out of his tie, you son of a bitch. You think I'm a fucking dumb housewife? Well, I'm not! Because I got you down, asshole! I know your act. You know, if he's protecting his goddamn rich girlfriend, earn her money, women like her, you are in your body I bet you just roll over on your back like a dog with your big dick sticking up in the air don't you Paul because they love that of course now you're going to try and tell me you're protecting me because you love me asshole you think I care what people think I'm from the fucking city I don't give a shit about small town talk I'm ready to tell the whole fucking world your shitheads Excuse me, ma'am. Uh, uh, we've run out of tape. Shit! Heads! Got it? The Yonkers hasn't been totally uh, drained out of her. The, we have this also this amazing local sheriff played by William Schilling, uh, who just wants all this stuff to be over. This is just not what he's up for as your your town sheriff. Maybe you're a pile of shit, but I sure got sunk knee deep in it, didn't I? Sure did. Screwing people's wives in a small town is the seven deadly sin, all right. Good thing your grandpappy ain't around to witness this. In there. You want a sandwich? He does has the greatest <laughs> delivery for that. Um, Love them in ruthless people. Oh, right. That's right. Um, and then we have this sort of wait till Monday construct for the finale. I tried to keep the lady out of this. Hope you understand, Charles. C'est la vie. 
Let's just hope her memory's in better shape than her marriage. Okay, Charlie, enough said. Uh, I'm gonna send Napoleon on home here. There's no sense him staying here all day. Of course not. As uh, long as you don't skip town, too. We'll just wait for Monday and see what Monday brings. Truth and revelation! <laughs> Maybe. And then we have this strange scene where uh, uh, the cop, Art Evans, shows... <laughs> it's the weirdest scene. <laughs> Takes uh, David Keith to the crime scene and shows him the crime, which is still like the body hasn't been taken away. This is, it seems like it's the next day almost. And he's just like, here's the body. Isn't this horrible? It's going to be bad, isn't it? If a guy ever earned himself an alibi on Monday, it's you, Paul. I can't believe you've done that, man. Yeah, you do. No, I can't. And David Keith is like, ah, who would do that? And he's like, I know it's not you, buddy. Just like, when did they become pals? I don't even... The, the, the body that has been stuffed into the wooden frame of a hot tub. We uh, come to find. Odd, odd spot to put uh, body parts. That's right. So we we find out that he really is the killer uh, when Kathy Moriarty finds yeah, body, chopped up body parts behind their tub. Um, the the insert of her soap dish is a little off, so she starts <laughs> snooping around the woodwork around the hot tub like you do. Like, what's going on in here? Oh. Hold on. I found some, some, some zip body parts. bags. Um, and then we ratchet into this shining finale. But instead of uh, Shelley Duvall and Nicholson, we have Kathy Moriarty in a peacock jacket. And we have, uh, as, as David Keith goes off the rails, he becomes... It's almost like a kabuki makeup and his hair in a high pony. And there's all these accessories. He looks fantastic when he goes full ape shit killer mode. He he does look fantastic. And like I said, he has these these gleaming mischievous eyes that are, are used to such good use here because you almost never quite buy him as the everyman, even though you are charmed by him and I'm Kathy Moriarty. There, there, there's there's something a little off. So when he goes crazy, it's great. And I don't understand what this outfit is. You're right. He's got like the hairs in like a man bun, like he's some kind of mad barista. Yep. And then the bottom half of his face is red, which looks kind of like the scene where he bit into the deer in the flashback. But then I also right. wasn't sure if that was a uh, uh, was a, invoking some some Native American mythology because there's a lot of that in this movie. Right. He's he's got explosives on him. He's got guns. He's got bullets. I mean, he is he uh, goes full he's loaded Unabomber. for bear. Yeah, full Unabomber. And then also I forgot to mention uh, Alan Rosenberg when um, when he discover in the past when he discovers that uh, Kathy Moriarty is cheating on him with uh, David Keith. He says, or actually it's before that, he says he's using an Apache trick uh, where he uses the white of his eye to to trick us. He's messing with us. So there's this mysticism that's brought in. And then also his name is Paul White. So we've got this pun uh, with white of the eye, which is you know, a 
a little forced, but I would also say Paul White's speech. I am shocked that this movie hasn't been like appropriated by the alt right because he's got this totally out of nowhere, almost like women are like from another universe. They're a black hole in that that is like a powerful pull. Like there's no God. God is the middleman. I mean, this this has more juicy quotes than White Squall for like a a real QAnon type. Also, he kind of has a QAnon (laughs) shaman thing going on. He does. Towards the end, and his name is Paul White. So uh, for all our weird incel alt-right listeners, you may like this movie. This may be up your alley. The female of the species is the main reason that evolution is, is turning out inside out. Oh, I don't believe you. I think you're making this whole thing up. What about Adam and Eve and the apple? Do you think that's bullshit? That's not bullshit. No, these women, these beautiful, beautiful women. Appearances. World of appearances. you, You can't kill what's already dead, can you? You, you might be thinking there might have been a little riffing going on in this movie. You are wrong, my friend. Kathy Moriarty says you couldn't even change an article of the to and in this script or Camel and Chena would be all over you. So this really? was a meticulously written uh, uh, speech in particular. And I guess Camel had a, a lot of thoughts about sexuality, many of which are, right. are are in this speech. But yeah, for a movie that sometimes feels like the, the dialogue's a little loosey-goosey. It's tight. No, sir. No, sir. Oh, my tight gosh. Tight as a drum. Oh, my gosh. So then we have this chase sequence uh, that leads us out of the house. The uh, Like The Shining, uh, the, the wife and the kid escape. And then we don't see that kid again for a while. The kid is like a pet almost. They're just like throwing her out windows, just like, get out of here. And then she takes <laughs> off in the truck. And then uh, they end up at the mines that uh, have been talked about before as having this backstory and this weight over the community. And we saw them with this this helicopter shot at the beginning but now we're in it and i think that's a pretty compelling sequence and pretty terrifying as he's shouting her name and and the camera's stuck on him as he's laughing and losing it and i i thought it was good you just wait right where you are honey wait right where you are i'm coming coming for you you. and you and me joni you and me we're gonna gonna bore right right to the the center center of this this plant. plant We're going to bore right down through the core of this molten rock, right into the center of this planet, Joni. And we can't go down anymore. We're going to go up. We're going to go up, 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 up. <laughs> right back to our atoms, Joni. You think I'm going to leave you behind in this, this, this fucking vacuum? Never, baby. Never, because I love you, Joni. I love you, Joni. I love you. Uh, yeah, no, this movie is going for it. Uh, just the, uh, the 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 just the images of the Paul White character dressed like such a madman, yeah. uh, pursuing them through the mines. It really goes for it. It's uh, it's a little scary. It it smacks of kind of like midnight movie cult movie fun um yeah. yeah no i'm having a good time i'm i'm definitely knowing why you picked this movie at that point 
<laughs> and then I'm our... like all mysteries revealed. <laughs> well, it's, it gets kicked into overdrive uh, when Mike shows up, Mike from the past, and he uh, saves the day, or does he? Because well, he's living at the mine. <laughs> Is he living at the... It's very confusing, her past lover, played by Alan Rosenberg, exactly yes. what his backstory is. She finds him at the gas station midway through the movie. He has some brain damage. Yeah, but he, he has a jail. trailer across the street with where Chena shows up. Her character goes there. She's connected by way of um, the little diner that uh, Paul White goes to. Anyway, yes, I guess he lives at the mines. I'm not sure. Um... But yeah, he shows up. I was surprised by that. I was like, who's 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 it gonna be? Turns out it's Mike, and he reveals in the <laughs> in, a, in another quick flashback that he quickly knew that Paul was totally nuts when Paul uh bit into a bloody deer and then kissed him passionately on the mouth, and then all hell breaks loose breaks loose, and then in the present, uh Kathy Moriarty goes like, why didn't you tell me he was nuts? And he was like, fuck you. You cheated on me. <laughs> it's, it's a great exchange. It's a great um, moment. But then you can see that they're still, uh, the whites are still codependent and the love is not over between these two nutbags. And um, it unravels and has one hell of a a, a, a cap at the end. Um, a real bang a real bang holy shit i did not see that coming that's what's you know nothing like a powerful ending to really send a, a, a movie home when you might be on the fence about it you might not know what to think about it but then bam when they go that far well don't leave, me, don't leave the listener in suspense he has a vest of explosives packed on him and i'm expecting him to blow himself up but he goes fucking nuclear. I mean, they're in this mine, and then we see it happen. There are so many explosives that they set off for this film. It's it's astonishing. Like I said, it's this odd mix of uh, what feels like almost like this uh, Sundancey, uh, you know, yes. Southwest, yes, uh, local actors, yes. Uh, small town production mixed with somebody had some money that they're funneling into this movie, it's and like you get these explosions that, and then the some last... other great scenes. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's it's intercut with all this, and let's not forget the the final uh, moment where uh, Joni played by Kathy Moriarty is in the, uh, the diner with Charles, the cop played by art Evans. And, uh, they, it's almost as if art Evans was, was Paul White's long lost bosom buddy. Cause he's like, man, I, I miss Paul too. 10 years. Gone with the wind. Heads. I hit Malibu beach before Christmas. What's 10 years. When you're in love. So he really he really feels for this relationship too, even though this guy is, as you said, a total fucking lunatic who murders permed women. He's a very sensitive cop. He's a very sensitive cop. So 
Yeah, this film, it's even challenging just to talk about. This might be our most challenging film to discuss on the podcast. Remember the title of the podcast, Duncan. So disjointed. And I have to say, I was in, intrigued. Like I said, I am working on a slasher movie. Kind of got right. my my juices. That's another reason a I thought bit. it was appropriate. Oh, look at you catering yep. all the choices right to me. I mean, uh, there's so many things that don't come together in this film. I think the the major issue is there's just you don't know whose point of view this movie is from, and there are a lot of things that that it, it tries and doesn't pull off. There's like metaphor upon metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I, I do like this setting. I, 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 you know, sometimes I like, I like the, you know, the Scottish director kind of looking at the, the Southwest, seeing it, mm. seeing it through his very different lens. And supposedly he, they, they lived in Laurel Canyon, but he was a huge fan of the desert. And that was like another reason they, they set the Connecticut uh, set novel in the, in the desert there. So it's an interesting setting. I'm on board with these actors. I read about some deleted scenes that, that really had me wishing I, I could have seen them. Supposedly there's a scene with John Deal playing Kathy Moriarty's <laughs> boss. What? And I'm a huge John Deal You're a fan. huge John Deal fan. He's a big deal in my mind. Oh, boy. so in many ways, this it's almost like baking a cake that doesn't rise, you know, but you, you bake the cake. It doesn't rise. So you shove all the disparate pieces in your mouth and you eat it and it's good, but it ain't great. And it certainly isn't cake. And you might even have diarrhea later, but I'm carrying it too far. Your so food you metaphors. Kinda, as you kind of know what to... I'm. You kind of know what I'm getting at. So, but did I enjoy myself? Yes. Do I feel like come at some on. point I'm going to be next to some film nerds, and this movie's going to come up, and I'm going to I'm going to bring it up and maybe score some points? Yes. So in that way, I'm going to give this movie. I'm going to be kinder than you have to some of my picks. And and give this movie what? a scanners, aka a mind blow, as opposed to a bickle, my mind not being blown. I've given so, all your movies scanners. Have you? I, I know, but you've been very, very resistant. <laughs> I show you Cape Fear and you like cross your arms and you're like, yeah, it was good. But like De Niro, I'm over it. How about Michael Rooker? <laughs> so, yes, uh, this movie just barely blew my mind. Okay, uh, okay. I, I, did, uh, I did enjoy it. And I've almost been thinking about like maybe Scanners should be. I watched uh, Maniac last week and there's that great uh, uh, brain blow moment there. The it's original? Tom, Tom Savini gets his, his oh, head yeah. blown off by the shotgun in the car. Maybe we should change up our, we can. our terminology. We can do that. We can discuss that can. Uh, after hours. That's so right. So on our, on our scale, which you tried to change last week without consulting me. You're implementing a scale? Scanners to, we've always had one. Scanner, scanners to Bickle. Yeah, it's 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 heads or tails. It's one or the well, other. Okay. A scale yeah, is one. is one through five. All right. Okay, MIT. <laughs> yes, this is scanners. I give it scanners. Okay. Fantastic. I thought you would. Well, you don't know what I you don't know what I think. <laughs> Uh, well, great stuff. And I guess now might be a good time for me to announce what movie we'll be watching. Oh next boy. Time. All right. Get ready to put on your depressed sad guy <laughs> pants because we're going to be watching Scarecrow. Oh, with Pacino. Pacino. I've never seen it. Well, you are going to see it and I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not going to talk it up. I'm just going to say uh, it's going to be quite an episode. It's going to be a very chunky episode. I can't wait. I cannot yeah. wait. Some Can I test out uh, our new exit line? Right. Please now. do. Are we ready? Ready. Okay. Well, I just want to say, uh, th- well, first was, I was going I was thinking about the balcony is blown. 
And then I was like, I don't know if that really <laughs> know that makes means. a lot of sense. So uh, hold on. I wrote it down somewhere. Where did I, where did I put our exit line? Uh-oh. This isn't even a bit. This isn't even uh-huh. a bit. Uh, uh, well, listen, everybody. Uh, th- or you might have to clean this up. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Didn't I Blow Your Mind this time. We'll see you next week. <laughs> we finished our popcorn. Hold on. Wait, you just what is have to it? This up. We, we finished our popcorn, but it's not that. It's it's. We uh, finished our popcorn. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> uh, I don't even what. What is that? Oh, here mean? it is. Here, here it is. All right. Wait, you were looking for handwritten notes and now you're yes. looking on yeah. your screen? Well, because I, I didn't it? print out the very, it, it went on to the last page. Quit wasting paper. Thanks for listening to Didn't I Blow Your Mind this time. We'll see you next week. We're out of popcorn. I don't get it. We're out of popcorn. <laughs> We've been watching popcorn. We've been eating popcorn watching the movie. What is that? <laughs> we're out of popcorn. The movie's over. The show's over. Uh, yeah, but what does that have to do with blowing your mind? Well, I mean, not everything can, you know, you don't have I feel to like keep we're beating closer the blow your with, mind drum. Clean up on aisle six. You're going to need a mop. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, that's gross. I don't even know why I came up with that. I want something homey like uh, Ebert and, and Siskel and the balcony's closed. All right. This is a work in progress. We'll be back well, with Scarecrow. The season's almost over, so. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. Didn't I blow your mind?